Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 257. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined in studio by Cody Saftik, coming off the heels of <laughs> Neil Magny breaking our hearts, Munir Lezez breaking our hearts, literally moments ago. Quite so literally. Maybe there's a little bit more of a ago. somber mood in here. I'm trying to get it out of my system with a bunch of coffee and all that good stuff. Just wanted to let everyone know this episode is brought to you by Monkey Knife Fight. Used code DOP that's you know for dog or pass um when making a new uh when making a new account and they will match up to $50 on your first deposit there's a free if you just want to get your feet a little bit wet there's a uh, free contest in the description of this video as well so uh get in while the getting's good is the getting good? So week I mean, one, we've been week struggling. We've season. been struggling out out of the gates in 2021. I feel like this happens to me almost every year. It's I just have bad reads coming off of New Year's. Yeah, you did mention that last week, but as far as I was concerned, the parlays were looking good last week, and then Joaquin Buckley, which he was a key piece of it, he loses. He is the apple pie shader. He ruins them all. And then just for extra measure, just to you know, rub that sting in just a little bit. Max Holloway proceeds to go in 50-45, Calvin Catering completely, make him look out. I was on Max in that situation, though that was actually... Okay, okay, we're talking about me here, Paul. I'm the one who's feeling down on myself. We're both feeling a little down as we roll into this one. Week two concluded all of 15 minutes ago, and uh, I I roll in here. I'm feeling good. There's only two (laughs) fights left. Hey, Paul, all I need is Munir Laziz. That's going to cap off with three winning legs. And again, he's at the top. And please don't be the apple pie shit. I'm looking at the hedge. I talked on last week's show. I was like, I should have just hedged. No. I got to make up for last week, so I'm just going to let this one ride out. And then a trio of body kicks. The first one really hurt, and the second two were just for good measure. And we got another apple pie shit. Kind of. And then just to rub in that sting just a little bit more in the main event, Neil Magny proceeds to go lose a 50-45 and completely look outclassed. So it's the same thing. Main event's been killing me through two weeks. And that one little thing. But we'll find that adjustment. I want to throw in quickly. It's a Conor McGregor card, so we obviously got to do things a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you consider all the irregularities on this card, first of all, we're on, a, we're on an island. Right, it's a tropical island. Okay, that's not so unusual. And uh, we've got the notori- tropical, maybe a stretch, but yeah. Well, we got an island somewhere. Okay, and we got the notorious, <laughs> the notorious geography expert Cody Saftik. <laughs> I know my geography. Notorious <laughs> Captain McGregor on the card. Okay, well that's 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 a big for us. But we've got Dana White has openly said he is hunting for pirates. So we're on an island. We know that there's pirates. We got the notorious one with us. We have a hooker who's looking for a payday. We've got 13 different countries represented on this cast and crew. And last but not least, to throw something in the middle of that to make sure you know it's Caribbean, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean here. We have a monkey knife fight thrown right in the middle. So, um, you got a pirate monkey on your chest. Yeah, absolutely. Monkey knife fight. If you leave a five star review on the audio podcast, leave your Twitter, email, uh, you're entered to win 100 bucks. So if you don't have Twitter, leave your email. If you want to enter twice and you have somehow two accounts that you can leave a five star review on, Please do that. And obviously all that stuff just helps the algorithms, helps the numbers, helps all that. So let's jump into it. We've got another loaded up card. It's been a crazy week of fights, but this is the this is the prize jewel at the end of it. A nice pay-per-view, a nice looking one, and a crown feature at the top. I mean, unless you've been living underneath the bridge, you got Conor McGregor returning to action this week, taking on Dustin Poirier. Minus 310, Conor McGregor, plus 255, Poirier. You mentioned just before we got on the air here. You're like, wait a second, I haven't seen you wear Conor McGregor gear in forever. Well, been a while. I mean, I'm the Habib is my guy. 
He's always been my guy. <laughs> Don't and, look like it right now. And there were we were at odds for a while there. Now, you know, Habib, it sounds like he's just going to be a coach. He's just going to live that type of life. He's got a farm. He's he's doing all that. Now I can, you know, lighten the load a bit. Uh, uh, light, lighten up a little bit about it. I Everything I've seen from Conor McGregor since the pandemic started, it seems like... And I know he's a master of the media and he knows how to like present himself at all times, but it really does seem like the guy has kind of re reconfigured his life. He was kind of going off the deep end. There was videos of, you know, him ending up in some real, real shady situations. Dicey. I mean, you see everything I've seen from him in training, he looks like he's really filled out. That 155-pound frame coming up from 145. He's looking thick. He's looking mean. He sounds focused. He's the guy we kind of liked at the beginning. Um, uh, You know, he got a little bit sidetracked there. Obviously, Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor have already fought before. McGregor wins round one. Some people are like, oh, it was a shot to the back of the head. Just like, when two guys are standing, that's not really a shot to the back of the head. That's not, nobody will ever call that. He knocked him out in the first round. I think he's going to knock him out again. I think Dustin Poirier has made some significant improvements since then. I just don't think, how do you beat McGregor? The best way to do it, take him down, exploit him on the ground. I think we saw in the in the Habib fight that Connors worked a lot on that ground game. I know that he tapped in Round three or round four was it? My bad. It, Got know. submitted by Khabib. Got submitted by Khabib. Submitted by Nate Diaz, but he's working on it. But I don't think Dustin Poirier can do that exact same game plan. Um, I think Conor McGregor wins. Conor McGregor wins by knockout. The question, especially from a monkey knife fight perspective, which we have like the the totals for that, I believe, are sixty one and a half and forty four and a half. You kind of think like Connor's got to get her done in the first two, two and a half rounds to to get these to the unders. Um, seems pretty close. I I would lean towards Connor get getting it done maybe round two in this situation. What about you? Yeah, I think obviously both guys have come a long ways since the last time they fought. I mean, it was a long time ago. It was at 145 pounds. Conor McGregor was, you know, not all hype, but he was killing guys. He was Mystic Mac. He calls the first round KO. He goes out there. He delivers. To see how far both guys have come. Like with Conor, there was that aura that like, oh, he's a special talent and he'll be here and he'll be in some special moments. And he goes on and he fulfills that. But with Dustin Poirier, like this guy is the quintessential working man, blue collar, hard hard tough guy and that work ethics got him to the highest levels has he faltered right at that last little step to get over maybe but uh yeah how could you not like dustin poirier not only is he a good guy but like he's bled for this sport he's left it all in there he's been fighting professionals since he was a teenager you know like it's cool to see him get these big spots it's cool to get see these big moments and he, he's definitely progressed a lot when i go through that run right it capitalized it, it, it caps off beats gaichi huge beats eddie alvarez and then he caps off with that Max Holloway fight, which even though Max Holloway's moving up from 145, it was like a picture-perfect performance. Dustin Poirier is one of the finest martial artists in the world. And to lose that fight to Habib Nurmagomedov, it's it's tough. Connor's been there. It's, he's the best guy in the world. It's, it, it is what it is. It's a, it's a tough loss, but everyone's going to lose to Habib if they deal with Khabib. So it's still a feather in the cap. You got in there with the best guy in the world. No shame in it. It's coming back after that against... Dan Hooker because he there was a hesitancy for him to fight right away right he loses to Habib and he's like I'm not fighting unless it's for whatever reason you want to do a rematch with Habib or if it was a Connor fight 
if it was some big, meaningful fight. But I don't want to fight these up-and-comers anymore. They get him to fight Dan Hooker. And for the first two rounds in that fight, Paul, he is getting beat up bad by Dan Hooker. And Dustin Poirier is so tough, so durable, got so much heart. Mm -hmm. He overcomes it, and he wins the last three rounds of the fight. And they were still close rounds, but he wins the last three rounds of the fight, secures that victory. My problem with Conor is even if you don't like Conor, right? Conor never gets blown out of the water, right? Conor, he either puts a beating on you and you succumb to it, or he puts a beating on you and you're able to take it and come back, right? We've seen his only losses, Nate Diaz. The Habib fight, that's different. He got completely routed in that fight. But you made good points. He much improved wrestling. Again, you're just fighting Habib. Take that off the table. Like, you got to go through there, and you got to take some punishment. I just don't know that Dustin Poirier is going to take that punishment. Conor McGregor, for all the flaws he has as a human being, he's an excellent martial artist. He has that pinpoint accuracy. His great timing, his great power, especially at 155, where he's not at 170, a little bit ballooned up. Like this should really be a good weight class for him. He's going to be able to pack that power. He's going to be able to carry himself for two rounds at least before he starts to tire. And I just don't know that Dustin's going to take that damage for the first 10 minutes. Now, beyond that, how does Dustin mix in that wrestling? Because that's a key to victory over Conor, mm -hmm. right? Dustin's not really one to use the wrestling all that much. Like, I think he's going to go out there and look to break his will and tire him out and push a pace on him. But Dustin's a bit of a slow starter. And that slow start is what allows guys like Conor McGregor to get a quick start on them. The last time they fought, Conor got a quick start on him and knocked him out. The last time you've seen Conor, he came in with a picture-perfect game plan against, Dustin, or against uh, Cowboy Cerrone. Where it's like, I've intercepted this guy before he has a chance to do anything. Knee up the middle. Everything lands clean. He puts him down. It was like, damn, this guy does have legitimate skills. For as much, you know, noise in the background Bravado. as there is. Yeah, as much as there's that talk and this and that and what's he up to. Like, he generally delivers when he's in the cage. And when he loses in the cage, you can't say it's for a lack of effort. Now, I know people have been talking like, oh, his head's not in the game. And it's just a paycheck. Like... With Conor McGregor, it's a brand, right? So him winning a fight is not just the UFC cuts him a check, but it's like you got to generate more interest and you can sell more pay-per-views, you can sell more merchandise and you can sell more whiskey and you can sell more of all these things and you're doing more sponsors and you got another wristwatch company that's going to give you a million-dollar watch to show around on, on your Instagram accounts. Like, it's a brand thing. So no doubt about it, he's not going to take a fight unless he's in optimal shape. Whereas Justin Poirier is going to be in great shape as well. But his 32 has been like, one guy made it to the top smoking people out in the first round, looking good, not taking a whole lot of damage, right? The other guy made it to the top for Dustin Poirier, just going through wars and fighting all of the best guys twice over. So, yeah, I know you're, we're going to take shit no matter what side we take. We take Conor McGregor, then there's those people that hate <laughs> Conor McGregor that are going to be like, you guys have no idea. He's a bum. Dustin Poirier is a man. He's a warrior. He's going to break him down. If you bet on Dustin Poirier, you're going to have a whole lot of Conor McGregor fans that are like, man, you don't know what you're talking about. I just hope. He's going to take his I head just clean hope. off. I just hope for my sake that he doesn't lose a 50-45 decision because then I would know I'm screwed and cursed, Paul. Uh, the first two events of the year have been routes in my main event choices, so I am going with Conor McGregor here. Minus 310, what's baked into that is the, the Conor McGregor factor. Like Otherwise, this fight would be, you know... I, Minus 200 I, plus not, 170. Would it, would it be that much? Would it be that much? Or was it Conor McGregor minus 60, 165? Like That's basically like what? 
70-30, essentially, minus 200, plus 170. Since both guys have fought last, right, you see Conor McGregor has had those wins over Jose Aldo and this and that. But, I mean, as of as of recently, like, yeah, he's been fighting Nate Diaz. And against Khabib, he got routed, which, I guess, same thing with Dustin Poirier. But at least Poirier fought Eddie Alvarez. At least Poirier fought Justin Gaethje. At least Poirier fought Dan Hooker, who's a top contender we'll talk about in the co-main event. Like, at least he's fighting all of the best guys, right? So he's certainly got a chance. His recent body of work is more impressive than knocking out Cowboy Cerrone. Like, are you mm-hmm. kidding? Do, do you want to book just or do you want to book um, Dustin Poirier versus Connor or uh, my bad versus Cowboy Cerrone and see what happens? Like, of course not. Of course not. There's levels to this. So with Connor, he's got that name baked in. Otherwise, he's a minus 165 favorite, but they're giving it to you for 310. So if you're a guy that's chasing value, it's got to be Dustin Poirier, right? He's he's being overlooked. The pricing's off. You go with Dustin Poirier, but we're in the market of giving people actual picks on who we think is going to win, not just, well, the price is off, so I'm going to take that guy on the basis of that. Sometimes that leans in a really close fight. Oh, you know, it's really close. I'm just going to take the value side. This is a fight we've seen it before, and yes, things have changed on both ends, but the style is still the same, and if Connor does what he's capable of, he should be able to get that KO finish in, you know, under two and a half, I would imagine. Uh, monkey knife fight, you got to lean on that? 61 and a half, 44 and a half? I got a feeling that Dustin Poirier takes damage at least for two, two and a half rounds. And if, and if that's the if case, that's the case Connor's going to get that 60 strike, and he's always landing back, so he's only got to get 40. If you're betting Dustin Poirier, that's an easy bet for sure to take Dustin on the on the over 40. But again, like this is the kind of fight that Connor's got fight-ending power, and Dustin Poirier, it's more of like volume and work rate and output. Mm-hmm. But again, he's still got a great submission game. He's a BJJ black belt. He's still got big power in his hands. It's just, if you imagine him winning, you imagine well, I mean, him if you winning. Think you get, if you think it gets to two and a half rounds, you're probably thinking it's a double over situation. Yeah, and because this is the main event, that's kind of where we want some action for, as far as monkey knife fights. But there's a full card of action, and you want these fights that are going to go three and are going to be striker versus striker. What we have here is striker versus striker. It just depends if you think if Connor goes out there and does what he did the first time, it's over in under two minutes. You hit none of them to, those totals. Under, if Dustin, under. if Dustin's super durable and he takes that beating and he comes back and wins three or four and five, you still hit both of those over totals. It's if Connor goes out there and sleeps this guy in the first Which round. Which is what he did the first time they fought. Yeah, you know, it was at one forty-five though, and, and I think ago, a lot of a uh, Dustin Poirier's chin issues kind of evaporated, went away when he moved up to 150. Imagine you were in one of those retro arcades. Like, right? look at the wars he's been in with Gaethje yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and Eddie Alvarez and stuff. Like, the guy clearly went, went... He must have been killing himself to get down to 140. And so, so is Connor. Both of these guys were killing themselves getting down to 145 pounds. Uh, and it really seemed to have uh, affect adversely uh, Poirier's ability to take damage. Yeah, I would say, and then the last thing I want to say is going back to the Dan Hooker fight. When you when you try to compare Dan Hooker's power to Conor McGregor, my joke was going to be: you walk into one of those retro arcade games, you put in your dollar, it flips down the bag, and you hit it. You know, you see what your power rating is. Dan Hooker and Conor McGregor at one fifty five are not hitting nearly the same. And you've seen those pictures on the Instagram. You've seen how just unbelievable shape it looks like. Okay, here's a greasy theory for you too. We'll kick off with a greasy theory, and then we can move to our comment event, mm-hmm. right? I talked to a friend of mine, and he was like, bet on Omari Akhmedov. Switch the pick off Tom Breeze. Go to Omari Akhmedov. I was like, nice. You got a hot tip? He's like, I got a hot tip. We live in this world of pandemic. You can't get flights. You, you can't go here. You know, people are working at reduced staff. Everything is slow. Everything's bogged down. You send something to the laboratory to get done. USADA's not working at maximum capacity. These guys are on an island over there. Amari Akhmedov is going to not be the guy that gasses out after five minutes. He's going to be a brick shit house. He'll look good. I seen him on the scales. I was like, 
he looks good, but he always looks good, right? And then in the first round, it, it appeared that it was at the end of the first round when Tom Breeze took his bag. It was just like, oh, maybe he's slowing down. But then the second round started, it was like, EPO, baby! Like, he persevered nicely and ended up getting himself a submission victory. I well, would say yeah, when Breeze you see went Connor's for, like, a leg shape, lock, which... When you see Connor's shape, though, it's like, oh, man. How does this guy pass the test exactly? But it's like, ah, they're they're on the island. He's he's gonna come in in really good shape. Are he's you gonna saying put, that he's taking his uh, strength and conditioning very seriously. I'm saying for this when fight? you're when you're a multi multi millionaire, right? You just hire the guy that makes the test, and uh, you're allowed to come in in incredibly good That's shape. Greasy. Whereas like that Dustin is Poirier is the quintessential working man. He's showing up here with a lunchbox and trying to go to work. But if you're gonna take that much damage against Dan Hooker through ten minutes, you're not gonna stand up the same shots from Connor. So Connor folds him inside of two and a half. Forgot to mention off the top of the show that uh, Mayo, Brett Apley, and Mad Lab will be doing a Katrina. UFC 257 DraftKings special right here on Mayo Media Network. Sub to the channel, hit the notification button. It's coming at you. And they'll have, like, I mean, those guys, uh, I'll call it spade to spade. Those guys are way better than me at DraftKings. They've got the whole game theory set up and stuff like that. So. Projections and numbers. Make sure to check out that one. I'll be checking it out myself, obviously. Um, see what uh, Apley and Madlab, two very respected yeah. guys in this game, have to say about, uh, about this entire card and how to approach it from a DraftKings perspective. Main, co-main event, shall we? Yeah, let's move to the co-main. Dan, Hangman Hooker takes on Michael Chandler, minus 125. Hooker, plus 105. Chandler. I never really liked Chandler coming over to the UFC. And, you know, really? he walks, How could you not? He walk, I, it's nothing personal, really. Well, I, I didn't like his approach when he first came in. Because he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to fight anybody. <laughs> He was just trying to, like, position himself to get one of these title shots. Yeah. I mean, we've seen Freite knock him out, like, or Patricio Freite knock him out. Chin has been an issue in some spots for Michael Chandler. Given up of, like, almost seven inches of reach against Daniel Hooker. I imagine Chandler's going to want to get to that takedown and get to it quick. Because what we have seen from Dan Hooker is even in his bad performances, if he's getting beat up on the feet, the guy can take an absurd amount of damage. Um, you know, like that that fight against uh, Barbosa was just like a legendary. Life-changing beating. Life-changing yeah. beating, but he's came back after that yeah, fight. Absolutely. And even and, absolutely. and continues to improve. Looks good. I think that that reach and his ability to strike his... Uh, you know the angles and the and the his style on the feet is going to pose big problems for Chandler trying to break the pocket. Uh, give me Hooker minus one twenty five. What about you? I'm looking to live bet this fight for sure. So the thing with Michael Chandler is that he is no doubt an athletic specimen. He's got it all. He's a complete package. Then that his wrestling top notch. I mean, guy's gone. He's been in camp for you know almost ten years for the likes of Kamaru Usman. And if you just see those guys wrestle in the gym, it's like my God, Michael Chandler. You know, former All American, top top notch wrestling abilities. His striking tight, really good hands, good technical boxing. You know, good calf kick game, good in and out movement. Does move the head. Massive amount of power for fifty five. Moves like the wind. He's got it all. The one thing, because he's not the perfect fighter. The one thing that I would see as the flaw in his game is that, like, he doesn't 
have the greatest durability. We've seen him chin checked. He's come. He's fallen over the Brent Primus fight. He's like a nine to one favorite. Mm-hmm. Let's get real. No, no way. Brent Primus wins unless this guy blows out his leg, and he and he does. He like rolls his ankle, and he's just unable to come back from it. It's just like a, one of those fluke injury type things. But keep in mind when he fought Patricio Freite. Patricio Freite is a small featherweight who's moving up to 55 to avenge his brother, Patricky. That's the only reason they booked the fight. He was like, you knocked out my brother, I'll knock out you. And Bellator was like, okay. Moves up their their 45-pound champion. He lights him up in a minute. It's like, Patricio's one of the best 45ers I've seen in my life, right? Like, he's, he's a fantastic talent. So you don't take too much away from that. And the Primus thing was a freak knockout. So you don't, you know, you can't give it too much. Outside of that, I mean, he looks near picture perfect. Cardio has... Sometimes been a slight issue. If you look at the second Brent Primus fight, it goes five rounds and it doesn't look like he's, you know, cruising the whole way through. The first Benson Henderson fight, same thing. He has a really fast start on him, but then he starts to fatigue. But a lot of that is not necessarily bad cardio. It's that he just works so damn hard. Everything's Mm -hmm. so fast. Everything's so powerful. And so as much as I was thinking the same thing as you, I like Dan Hooker in this spot because if Dan Hooker goes... The reach worries me. The reach worries me for sure. Dan Hooker is one of these guys that's extremely durable. So if Chandler lights him up and he takes the beating, then he's going to be able to come back. And on top of that, again, look at what Dan Hooker did for 10 minutes to Dustin Poirier. And if he was to do that to Michael Chandler, it's like Chandler's not Dustin Poirier, man. Let me tell you right now. Chandler's also three months shy of his 35th birthday, so the best fights of his career were spent in Bellator. And the Eddie Alvarez fights took a lot of damage on him. And the Will Brooks fights, yeah, Will Brooks of all people, how did he fare in the UFC when he was a highly touted Bellator champion coming There is over? a long history of these Bellator guys coming over yeah, and getting and, served. And Will was like 29 years old, right? He was theoretically in the prime of his life and he just thrashed Chandler twice. The second time he knocked him out in a no-moss situation. Chandler looked away from the ref and just like waved it off like, I don't want to be here anymore. And it's nothing against his heart. It was just like Will Brooks put a beating on him. Both Eddie Alvarez fights, especially the second one was it it was it's the equivalent of being in a car wreck and going straight through the windshield like his face is mauled he's taken a ton of damage you've seen him slow down a little bit but he's so damn fast still so so why i still think he's a live underdog is that where dan hooker struggles is with these guys that are way more athletic and way faster than him that can beat him to the punch and you've seen it with edson barbosa you've seen it when dustin poirier started to find his rhythm if they beat him to the punch, he is very hittable. He's got a great chin. Mm-hmm. He's got one of those. He is very hittable. He's got one of those Maori warrior chins, but he is very hittable. And you don't want to get hit. I don't know. Is by he, Michael Chan. Is he Maori? No, but he's from New Zealand. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, no, what I'm saying. Geography he's, expert Cody Saftik back on the case. Well, are you disagreeing that, that well, Dan Maori got a, Maori a great chin? Does, doesn't just refer to New Zealand people. It refers to the native people of New Zealand. Well, I would say. I he's mean, I spent time in New Zealand, so most people wouldn't have noticed that. Another time he's where I probably shouldn't have cut you off. Maori warrior, because he's showcased this it. Is it's true. like you are one of our people, no doubt. You can do the haka, and we will not laugh at you. But all the same, it's like you don't want to put that chin on display too many times. And when you see him versus Barbosa, it's like he might never be the same. The ref probably should have stopped that. Like that mm-hmm. was a bad beating. But d- just like Barbosa, who's taking beatings like that, that kid comes back. And you see him against Justin Poirier, and it's like that's a really bad beating, man. Like you know, it's tough to come back from that. And now he's making the attempt to come back from that. Also, the Paul Felder fight, which he won by split decision, arguable that he lost the split decision. And once he started to get tired, Paul Felder started to put some hands on him. He's super hittable. He's there to get hit. And again, 
when you look at uh, Benson Henderson, great chin, very durable, slick, able to get out of there. Chandler just walks in there and puts one nice shot on him and puts him down. Hooker's got that durability, but if he's going to be getting hit for 10 minutes, he falls over. And that's why I mentioned right at the stop, this is a good live bet opportunity. I'm going to pre-bet Michael Chandler, I believe. And I believe Michael Chandler goes out there and wins the first round at least, and maybe the second round. And if Dan Hooker's still alive and has a pulse after 10 minutes, I'm live betting Dan Hooker. Because even though he might be worse, worse for, I don't know, it depends on the shape. If his nose is to the left and his mouth is wide open and there's blood everywhere and Michael Chandler looks the part, well, I pre-bet Michael Chandler, I'm cool. But if there's that sense of like the tide starting to change and Chandler's getting tired, and, and even then it's a three-round fight. So if he's going to go out and win the first two, I I, I probably be okay with that you got hooker i'm gonna take the live dog michael chandler but you made a great point when you said there's been a precedent with bellator champs coming to the ufc and not bearing so well so uh hopefully mike can break that trend uh joanne calderwood takes on jessica evil i minus 120 calderwood plus 100 i where's your head at here i like joanne calderwood on the basis of probably just like the better significant numbers. She goes out there, she's got a better uh, versatile arsenal with the kicks, you know, maybe a longer ranger striker. Jessica I's got the technical boxing advantage. She doesn't quite throw the same volume as Calderwood. But again, when you're just trying to use one primary weapon, which is the boxing versus Calderwood, who should be able to use, she doesn't got great technical boxing. But use some of your strikes, with your knees and your elbows and your kicks, and just put a pace on her. We've seen Calderwood... She's a tale of two fighters. Sometimes she shows up and she looks awesome. Sometimes she shows up and she looks iffy. But you do see improvements out of her. Even though she's starting to get a little bit older, Jessica is in a similar situation. You know, she struggles to make weight. She's had that big title opportunity. She fell short. Does she have the ground game advantage over Calderwood? I suppose most people in the division do. Does she have the type of wrestling and the type of, you know, fight IQ that she's going to go out there and just nullify Calderwood with pure wrestling-based game plan? I don't think so. So I'm going to think that Calderwood just ever so slightly works her and gets a close competitive decision. I see this one going 15 minutes. Nobody gets a finish on either side. And then I'm hoping that Calderwood's volume gets to the win. But I can see you passing on this fight. It should be very close. It should be very competitive. And you see the line, minus 120 versus plus 100. This is a spot, though, that I would be having a look up potentially on, on Monkey Knife Fight because even though they got it relatively close, it could be something to the realm of Joanne Calderwood, you know, 60 significant strikes versus Jessica I, 50 significant strikes. And whereas... Calder was going to land 60. If this goes 15 minutes into the striking battle, striker versus striker, she's landing 60 for sure. Jessica Eyes outputs a little bit lower, but she should definitely land the 50 strikes. So because I think it's going to go 15, I think it's going to be strikers. And even though they're not the highest output, they're also still 125-pound women, right? So it's it's more than your middleweight contest where they're only throwing a handful of punches per round, mm-hmm. or meaningful punches anyways. Um, anyways, yeah, something bearing bearing in mind. I'm, I'm with you. I think I like Calderwood in this spot, to be perfectly honest. I think Calderwood's made some pretty significant improvements in the wrestling department and on the feet. She's just got such a more diverse attack in terms of the elbows and the kicks. Like it's a very, very straightforward wrestle boxer kind of game from I, if Calderwood's able to fend off those takedowns, like my guy, Neil Magny. Oh, Neil. I shouldn't have brought it back up. But, uh, <laughs> or maybe just don't engage in that at all. Uh, if she can just not engage in that at all, stay at distance, I just think that she'll chew up Jessica Evil Eye in this spot. Um, that's really all i got to say about that yeah, one. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Otman Azatar takes on Matt Frivola. Minus 155 Azatar. Plus 135 Frivola. I don't think I've ever got a Frivola fight correct. So I'm going to... 
hand this one off to you. Well, this is actually a huge litmus test for us and Otma and Azatar because we have been praising this guy since he came to the UFC. And to his credit, not really ours, he's been living up to those expectations. Debuts against Timu Pekalin. And, you know, if this guy is that a, was Mor- a pretty. Uh, he's friends with the Prince of Morocco, right? Mm-hmm. His they're very they're wealthy. He packs a lot of power. Is he still green? Is he still a little rigid? Sure. But he packs a lot of power. They're training at the highest level. He's got everything, you know, not given to him, but provided to at his disposal. It's like this guy's going to make a lot of improvements. And they've matched him up with Timu Pekalin, of all people, a Finnish grappler That's not what, known for a great chin. Yeah, they call that a softball <laughs> in the biz. Yeah, Thibaut Gaudi's getting you out of there. You know, Otman Ezatar is going to put one of those missiles across the chin. And uh, sure enough, that's what he did. So he knocks out Timu Pekalin overhand right th- into the first round. Then he gets Kama Worthy a second time out. Well, Kama Worthy's everybody's darling. He's going out there and he's pulling off the big victories. He's been coming out as an underdog, and there's a lot of love going into that fight for Kama Worthy. But again, like Kama's hittable. He has been knocked out five times in his career, most of those coming inside of the first round. And this is another situation. We talked about the main event. You are going to get hit. Are you going to be able to take those strikes? With Timu Pekalin and Kama Worthy not able to take those strikes, and Ahmed Nezatar beats those guys. Matt Frivola, the perception on him. And maybe I'm largely one of those people that has been back in that narrative is that this guy can't take a punch. His chin never really was all that good. He came to the UFC, uh, the fight with Polo Reyes, he's knocked out in a minute. Now he's undefeated at the time. He's too green. He's too young. And Polo Reyes, of all people, knocks him out in a minute flat. After that, he fights Lando Venata. And in the first round, he's getting dropped silly by Lando Venata. But that's where he does have a suspect chin, but he does not have a suspect heart. If you don't knock him out, he just keeps coming at you. And he puts a 10-8 round on Lando Venata and ends up settling for a draw. The Jalen Turner fight, he just keeps working him and working him and going. And that's why Matt the Rock, the steam roller for Vola, the rock and roller, the guys out of New York, I mean, they love him. Matt, Sarah, and Aljamain Sterling and these guys, they love him. Because no, he's not that finesse guy that you've seen from the gym. No, he's not a powerhouse like Marab Devashvili, but like he gives these guys rounds in the gym every day, mm-hmm. and he is tough. And you would best make sure you knock him out. Moving on from that, he's again an underdog against Luis Pena, but the writing's on the wall there. Pena's a bus prospect, and Matt Frivola is the kind of guy that, you know, he's he's become a nice little gatekeeper. If you're not for real, he's going to expose you. Sure enough, he gets a split decision over Luis Pena. That fight being over a year ago, that's a repetitive theme on the last two cards. A lot of these guys are coming off 13, 14 month layoffs. They just, all they did is just not get a fight in 2020. And I think that's pretty understandable, right? But he's coming off this, this long layoff against Otman Azetar. If the narrative is this guy can't really take a punch, Otman's knocking him out in the first round. If Otman doesn't knock him out in the first round, Matt does what he does. He just mm-hmm. keeps grinding away at you. The two guys that have attempted a fight Otman Azatar, Timo Pekalin doesn't have any wrestling, and he wasn't really pursuing any takedowns. He was just there to get knocked down. He did. Kama Worthy can wrestle, opted not to, opted to stand, and he got knocked out. This guy's not looking to stand for a prolonged period. Matt Favola will stand long enough to close the distance, or when you're tired in the second or third round, maybe put it together. But this is a good fight. This is a close fight. I can see people chasing that plus 135 dog tag on Matt Favola because he'll give you, you know, his his best chance. But I, I'm going to take Otman Azatar, and again, I'm going to earmark this as a live bet fight. Where if Altman, I'm gonna have if he Altman, doesn't if he doesn't get him out of there, or if he's not just landing at will. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have him pre-bet, and in the first round, if he goes out there and he knocks him out, then I've won my bet. If he goes out there in the first round and puts it on him, and Matt Frivola again, we've seen Matt Frivola lose rounds before, but he didn't get knocked out. His chin did check out. I know his cardio is not going away, mm-hmm. and I know they're gonna have a great game plan to make adjustments in round two and three going forward. So good good spot to potentially get a, a live bet. And also, if you are a Matt Frivola backer. 
and he loses that first round, you're going to get a much better price than plus 135 on it as well, knowing that this is a guy that's capable of coming back in two or three. But in, in my mind, if I played the fight out 100 times my mon- in my mind, Amanazi is knocking him out more times than not. That seems like the more the most likely path to victory. However, with Matt, he's he's been kind of making a reputation of doing this. But in Abu Dhabi, where he is a star because of the, the Moroccan descent, um, yeah, yeah, I expect this to be like the kind of fight that they want to showcase him again, which they've done the last two. We got Amanda Hebus taking on Marina Rodriguez, minus 290 for Hebus. Rodriguez, plus 245. Hebus was supposed to take on uh, Watterson yeah. in this spot. Uh, Rodriguez coming in on a shorter notice. I mean, she's really, I mean, it's a pretty steep price tag, but she's really showed us. Uh, in her last few fights, that she's kind of got skills everywhere. She's very athletic, quick, and the grappling is is super super slick. Um, is there any concern here at minus two ninety for you? Or yeah, so I am gonna pick uh, Amanda Rebus, but just to say what the concern is, because it is minus two ninety. So you know what what exactly do you not like about it? Is that she's been built on the fact that she's young, twenty seven. She's out of American Top Team. She's a lifelong martial artist. She looks the part. But again, she's 27 years old. She's young. And to this point, she beat Emily Whitmire in her UFC debut. She exposed Mackenzie Dern, which in high insight, big win, big win. But also not like the end-all, be-all wins. Beat Ronda Marcos by decision and then is coming off a win over Paige Van Zandt, right? Mm -hmm. So a nice little run. You see her getting better. You see her improving. I like what I see. I think she's going to be able to get this fight to the ground. I think she's going to be the stronger fighter. I think her cardio checks out. I think she's got the better grappling. She should get the win. But Marina Rodriguez poses a lot of problems coming in on short notice. Yeah, she's on short notice. But listen, she's long. She's rangy. She's a power striker. and she She can give you fits. How you beat her is with the grappling. But if you stand in front of her, like she's there to do some damage. And I've been really impressed with what I've seen from her that she comes to the UFC and she got a draw against Ronda Marcos. But the Jessica Aguilar fight, shot version of a girl that shouldn't have been there in the first place. You know, old timey legend, like a Terrell O'Rourke. Yeah, someone who didn't keep up with the times. Yeah, of course not. Bob Honchak, same thing, right? But she went out there and landed 130 significant strikes, absolutely busted her up, looked good. The Tisha Torres fight to follow it up. She doubles up Tisha Torres on the significant strikes. She takes down Tisha Torres. And she ultimately defeats Tisha. And you see how good Tisha is, right? It's like, damn, Reina Rodriguez is competing at the highest level. Then she gets Cynthia Calvillo. Wouldn't you know it? She wins the first two rounds against Cynthia Calvillo. And then in the third round, that takedown defense rears its ugly head. And she got beat up pretty good, dominated in the third round. She ends up with a 10-8 third round, which leads to a, uh, a draw. But it's like, to this point, you've got to win over Tisha Torres. You got a, a very competitive, you won two rounds against Cynthia Calvillo. She follows that up by losing a split decision to Carla Esparza, which is a coin flip. Could have gone either way. This girl's legitimate. She's fighting the best girls in the division, and she's giving a good account of herself every time out. She's not fighting Paige Van Zandt. Are you kidding me? She's not 27. She's 33 years old. She's ready to rock. And yeah, she's short notice, but again, it's like one of these spots where they know that there's fights. They've know every manager's got an email. We're looking for fighters with their medicals in place who want to fight. They're in shape. Her taking the fight on short notice, not crazy. So yeah, I got Rebus because I think she's going to be able to get the fight to the ground, and that's where it's going to... Marina Rodriguez is not great at getting back up, right? If you stand with her, you've got a problem. But Rebus being at an ATT and having you know the, the guidance of guys like Matt Brown, or Mike Brown, sorry, Mike Thomas Brown, the game plan surely is not going to be stand with the long-rangey striker for 15 minutes. Like She's going to mix in those takedowns and get the win. But at 290 it's not a great price. It's that... 
here's a young, good-looking, undefeated prospect coming off a win over a pretty girl who everybody knows. And, eh, you know, the other girl's 33, coming off a loss, out of draw. Like, it's, just like not, it's just not a sexy And, like, the game. Dern fight. Now, Dern has made a lot of improvements, but the, the, the game plan was very, very straightforward there. Just don't engage or try to avoid engaging in the grappling at all costs against Mackenzie Dern. If you keep it on the feet, you're way faster and if way I put more you, slick than this girl. Yeah, and Rebus's biggest win is Mackenzie Dern, right? Because mm-hmm. outside of that, it's Ronda Marcos, but let's just stick with Dern. But you can make the argument either side, right? Mm-hmm. If I if I put you on the spot and I was like, who wins, Mackenzie Dern or Tisha Torres? That's, Tisha that's, Torres. A, that's an easy one. Right? That's, that's a no-brainer. If I told you who wins, Mackenzie Dern versus Cynthia Calvillo, I mean, certainly the favorite by the betting line would be Cynthia Calvillo. Dern could catch her with a submission or something, tie her out, who knows? But Cynthia Calvillo's up. And Carla Esparza, like, give me Carla Esparza all goddamn day over Mackenzie Dern because she's a much better wrestler, won't get taken down, and you see the improvements in the striking. So on one hand, you got Marina Rodriguez is fighting former title... Former champions, Carlos Barza, former title challengers, girls that have been at the highest level. Whereas Rebus looks good and is developing. And we've seen with these prospects sometimes, like it's a little too much, a little too soon. And I myself had Munir Laziz, it's got to be about 45 minutes ago, an hour, an hour ago. And it's like, here's a good looking prospect, comes to the UFC, wins that fight. He's got some shine on him. He's taking on a savvy veteran who's not great but has fought in Colby Covington and he's fought in Kamaru Usman and he's fought in some of the best guys in the sport and he's a 500 type fighter he's at this point. He's been through the meat grinder yeah, already. Yeah, but, but, he, but he knows something and he could attack and if he attacks and he puts you in a vulnerable situation, turns out you've never been body kicked like that. Mm-hmm. With Rebus, it's like, you know, where is that pressure cooker situation build that maybe it, she falters a little bit? But I am going to pick her, but the 290 is not the greatest price tag going. I agree with that. We got uh, Armin Sarukian taking on Nazrat Hakparaz, minus 260 for Sarukian, plus 220 for Hakparaz. I mean, everything that we've seen from Armin Sarukian right now just seems yeah. like the stand-up is super, super fast, crisp. Maybe not the most technical. I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. Grappling completely on point. I mean, look at both of these guys' ears. I was I was looking at their ears earlier. Well, because like a lot of the Armin. times you just like you know I, I respect both of these guys. Yeah, he's got like those like crinkle cut cauliflower. Um, I mean, hack brass ears are uh, either one of these guys. You see guys with ears like that, you do not want any part of it. But uh, I haven't been able to really poke too many holes in Armin Sarukian's game. Maybe the one thing that we really haven't seen is maybe there's a chin issue, but we haven't had any sort of sign that that is an issue. Hack brass on the other side, that has been his one uh, kind of downfall for you know a, a rising pro- prospect. I believe both of these guys are like what 24, 25 each. Twenty four, like, twenty five. Yeah, so right. this is a real re- like this is a fight that we may see the rematch of this fight in like yeah, five years sure. type of thing because these guys are going to be around. For a while, I I can't pick against Armin Sarukin from what I've seen. It's just like everything just seems too crisp. The the grappling's on point. The yeah, the striking is fast in and out of the pocket. Like, give me Sarukian uh, against Hakparast, uh, even minus two sixty. Eh, minus two sixty is getting up there for sure. But it's gonna be an awesome, awesome fight. But yeah, I think Sarukian gets the job done here. What about you? Yeah, Sarukian, obviously, they got a lot of faith in this guy. They sign him, he's like 22 years old, and they're like, fight Islam Akachev. And it's like, oh man, like, why would you do that to anybody, let alone someone on their debut, 22 years old? But Armin Sarukian gave a good account of himself because whereas I would use the expression, 
he looked like a poor man's version of Islam Makachev. He looked like a mid-class version of mm-hmm. Islam Makachev. And he's 22 years old. Now it takes on Olivier Aubé-Mercier, who I knew was had a little bit of love coming in. But, like, he's Canadian. And here's the thing. One of these Armenian grappling powerhouses, we're not strong enough to compete here's, with that. Here's the thing. Gave him a good go. This GSP's gone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the joke, you see it out on Twitter. Fade Canada right now. Things are not so hot up here. In terms of the MMA space. Akeem Dewadu and Gavin Tucker are literally holding it together. And neither guy are top 15. Hakeem Dewadu could be 15-ish. Gavin Tucker's not far off. But, like, mm-hmm. we got two featherweights kicking it. That's 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 about the extent of it. Uh, poor Tanner Bowser. Hopefully he gets back on track. But, again, like, yeah, we're operating at a low level. Now you can make the argument. It's like, oh, man, how many fighters does Armenia have? It's just like, yeah, here's the thing. The guys that they do produce are cast iron. And he's one of these guys that exactly it. I mean, he's just extremely tough. He has a grappling base. He's spent time with a lot of Russian fighters as well. And he's just kind of got that style. He's so young that he's learning on the job, but I like what I see. Now, he goes from that debut loss to Islam Makachev to fighting Olivier Aubert-Mercier, where he doubles him up on the striking stats. He takes him down twice. It's a good performance, a learning performance. And then coming against Davi Ramos, it's like Davi Ramos, former ADCC guy, right? Like he's a high-level grappler. Again, he puts a beating on him with the striking. You really see where he's improved in that element. And he's got the wrestling as his back pocket. He didn't mind grappling with a guy like Davi Ramos. And again, we talk about the high-level Davias. Now you give this guy a year plus off because mm-hmm. he hasn't fought. And, they, and again, he coming in, I guess, suppose it's not that long. But you just see the, the improvements from him from fight to fight because he is still so young. Now you got 25-year-old Nazareth. And Nazareth, everybody darling, myself included, I think this guy's the real deal. I think this guy's going somewhere. He looks legit. Comes to TriStar. That I didn't care for, but they're putting together great game plans for him. He's growing, and he runs into Drew Dober. And he was actually a sizable favorite against He's like minus 300 favor against Dober. Yeah, he's a minus officially on this one thing. A 350 favorite Mm -hmm. uh, over Drew Dober, and he gets knocked out. Prior to that, he had been looking great. His striking had been looking awesome. His output's great. He couldn't knock out Tebow Gowdy. That's a problem. But he put like 130 significant strikes on him. After the Dober loss, he looked shaky against Munoz. But again, he puts 120 significant strikes on him. He's got great output. He's got good striking. He's a long guy. At 25, I do think that if he can put away that that Dober fight in the rearview mirror and put two, three, four fights together, I mean, sky's still the limit for him. But the UFC has done him no favors in giving him uh, another superstar-type prospect. So it's prospect versus prospect. The reason why I'm leaning, I'm going to probably pass because the line's blown out. It's a good fight. It's a close fight between two young up-and-comers. The difference is that Armin can strike and can grapple Mm -hmm. and has great cardio, whereas Nazarat can strike and has great cardio, and his grappling's okay, but Armin's going to have those those advantages in there and should be able to get this guy down and should be able to to take this guy out by, well, not take him out, but win a decision. But the minus 260 is like, this guy's going to win for sure. He's one of the biggest favorites on the card. No doubt he's going to go out there and walk through Nazareth. And like, what would give you that impression that Drew Dober did it? Turns out Drew Dober is an absolute gangster, right? Turns out Drew Dober training with Justin Gaethje. <laughs> Did a has lot really ch- turned that guy's career around. Yeah, yeah. And unlike his also stablemate, Neil Magny, he decided, I'm going to stand and fight to my strengths in this spot and not initiate these clinch attempts against Nasrat Harper. Yeah, the, the wounds are still a little fresh here, guys. Still so fresh. <laughs> uh, 
ultimately, this is a dog or pass type fight, I think, for me. Because wow, it's, okay. it, it, it's close, and it's just the 220 is big. I want to pick Nazra, or I want to take Tsuruki, and I really do. The problem there is that it's just too big. I could see him end up being my apple pie shader, and then I'd say, oh, I still have only 24. He had went over Davi Ramos and Olivier Mercier. Like, there are levels to this. He was looking good against lower-level guys, but Nazra's not a joke. But I, I, it's another fight that I've earmarked for a potential monkey knife fight spot because I think it's going to go three rounds. Armin throws crazy output. I mean, you look at the fight with Dobby Ramos, 91 significant strikes landed. Flip side to that, Nazrat Hawkcross has landed over 100 significant strikes in two of his last three fights. And Nazrat couldn't knock out Tebow Gaudi. He's not knocking out Armin Sarukian. And Sarukian has proven to be more of a, a grinder decision guy type himself. So we've got two guys, high output, good striking, in a fight that's likely to go 15. It's a monkey knife fight fight for sure. Brad Tavares takes on Antonio Carlos Jr. Minus 135 Tavares plus 115 ACJ. I mean, I think the whole question of this fight comes to can Brad Tavares stop the takedown from ACJ, who doesn't necessarily have the greatest wrestling. Um, but if he does get you to the mat, his uh, his jujitsu is world-class. Brad Tavares, I, I'm leaning towards, maybe not even so much leaning. Like I don't think ACJ's got great takedowns. Maybe he can catch a kick. Maybe he can get him up against the cage, pull him to the mat or something. But I think much more often than not, Brad Tavares, I know he's getting up there in age. He's He's been in the UFC for a long time. I think he keeps us on the feet, and he should be able to pepper him, outbox him. Uh, and I don't think ACJ can compete with Brad Tavares on the feet. What about you? Yeah, I like Brad Tavares as well. Not like as in love, but I do like him in this spot, and I think he should be able to get the victory. Both guys, again, repetitive theme is that they're coming off these year-plus-long layoffs. Now, who would that favor? Definitely Brad Tavares in that Antonio Carlos Jr. has had cardio problems his entire career. When he was a good prospect coming in, cardio problems, wins fights quick, or else he fades out. The man one time lost a fight to Dan Kelly. On the basis of he just tires out mm-hmm. so fast after the Couldn't first round. Couldn't get the sub, tires out. Oh, my God. And then after that, he writes the ship, right? And namely, I was in the I was in the arena at the time, lost, uh, UFC 207, and he takes on Marvin Vittori. And that'll sit as that little crown jewel as a nice big win for him. But he just fought a young version of Vittori, and he landed a couple takedowns and won a 29-28. Since then, the wins include Eric Spicely, since been released from the promotion, just lost in 55 seconds in a UAE Warriors, Jack Marshman, Never really got going in the promotion since been released. Tim Boach, savvy veteran, used to have some great times, but at this stage Long in the, in the game, tooth. Yeah, and, and, and no longer with the promotion. Then he takes on Ian Heinish, who's not a top 15, but he's a, he's, he's a mid-level opponent, no doubt about that, medium level. Same thing, he has a good first round. We make the joke, Heinish don't get rear naked choke because of his time on Rikers Island. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> as soon as he doesn't get that first round submission, it's like, oh shit. Wheels are falling off again. Heinish hustles him up. He wins a split decision. Good win for Heinish. Okay. Then the Uriah Hall fight. Wouldn't you know it? He takes Uriah Hall down. He takes his back. He's, he looks good in the first round. And when he did not finish him in the first round, wheels fall off completely. He's completely tired. And he doesn't have great striking. Now I get he's only 31 years old. Maybe he's made improvements. But it's hard to make improvements in the cardio realm because you're never pushing yourself as hard as you are in a fight. Best way to shore up that, that cardio is to be fighting all the time, which he hasn't been. He's got a long layoff. He's always had cardio issues. It's a problem. Now, with Brad Tavares, maybe he does get taken down in the first round. But it's beyond that. He just got to keep coming at him. He's just got to put a bit of a pace on him. You talk about Brad Tavares' cardio. Two fights back. This is the crazy, crazy how MMA works. Two fights back, he goes five rounds with Israel Adesanya. 
And then the very next fight gets head kicked by like a 21 year old kid in Shabazia, Edmund Shabazian. That's like, how do you go from the world champion and like didn't win any of those rounds? Izzy's but. fights are kind of all over the place in that respect. Yeah. Though. But Brad goes five. That's something that you can take away of it. He's fought guys like Israel Adesanya. He's fought high level guys. He has been knocked out a few times, uh, but his chin's not really that big of a question. I know he's coming off a loss, but he's had that year long layoff since between. He's 33, so is he old in the two, starting to get there, but maybe has a couple decent performances left in him. And beyond that, takedown defense has never really been a huge issue for him. I guess he's not fighting a whole lot of wrestlers. Doesn't yeah, that's the thing is that he's not getting all that tested, but yeah. ACJ's wrestle game isn't like maybe that's all he's done for the, the last. It's good in the first round. In the first round, he he takes you down, he controls you. He's so big and strong. If he just can get a a, a waist yeah, lock, body lock. Him, a body lock, he'll just peel you to the ground, right? With Brad though, he's just got to stand his back foot, move, and counter on this guy. Mm-hmm. ACJ's got a huge reach on him. It's like seventy eight inches or something. It's like massive, but he's not a very good striker. So when he puts the shot out, it's there to be countered. The main thing is is that you have to tax this man. You have to work this man because you might lose the first round. We might be going after the first round. Oh, shit, Brad Tavares. But just know, second round is going to start standing. We stop those takedowns. We'll do the exact same thing that Dan Kelly did. We'll do the exact same thing that Ian Heinish did. We'll do the exact same thing that Uriah Hall did. But the, the blueprint is there. And Brad Tavares has been full-time out of extreme couture in Las Vegas the last 10 years. No doubt during this pandemic, everyone's in Vegas. Everyone's training. I, I would say he's got the, the skills and hopefully puts them to good use. Minus 135 looks like a decent enough price tag. But again, it sounds probably like I'm super confident in the spot. And it's Brad Tavares. It sounds like so the he just play here is make sure child. that he doesn't get submitted in round one. And Always. look for Brad Tavares. Potentially, if he loses round one, potentially... Uh, he'll be like an well, underdog live, in that spot. Live bet spot, exactly. Just I like, mean, if Tavares just puts hands on him mm-hmm. early, you're not going to get minus 135. But but yeah, there is that risk that, you know, while they're dry early in the fight, ACJ's uh, grappling is pretty, pretty elite when he gets it to that position. He's just not the best at getting it to that position. And obviously the cardio doesn't check out for three full rounds. Uh, anything else you got to say on that one? No, no, that's that's pretty much it. I think uh, it's a close fight, but we're both going to side with the same guy. Sarah McMahon takes on Juliana Pena, minus 130. McMahon, plus 110. Pena. How old is Sarah McMahon, though? Sarah McMahon, yeah. 39? M- Mama Bear McMahon is 40 years old. 40 years old. Mm, fuck. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is such a good stylistic matchup for Sarah McMahon. Um, you know, it's, it's Juliana Pena doesn't exactly pose the biggest threats in terms of her striking. What does Juliana Pena try to do? Wrestle, control, grapple. I mean, we're talking about Sarah McMahon. Mama Bear McMahon is an Olympian. Um, minus 130, the price seems more than fair. The, the only concern that you run into is kind of like Sarah McMahon when she took on Jessica, I, is that if this doesn't turn into a wrestling match on either side and it just turns into a striking affair, it could be low volume and kind of like not much happens. And, you, you know, um, it could be less less of an edge. But I feel like Sarah McMahon should control grappling exchanges. There's levels to the game, as we've said in the past. And remember when Pena took on Shevchenko, everyone was talking about she gave a good account of herself she gave a good account of herself getting the takedowns early but yeah arm bar arm bar and like she wasn't the 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 level kind of caught up to her is that like against valentina valentina's grappling 
was super, super good as well. I mean, I think it's just for what Pena likes to do in her fights. I just think this is a really, really tough stylistic matchup. The big concern, obviously, 40-year-old, uh, 40 years old coming off of uh, – the Christmas holidays and all that good stuff. But no, she tra- she's a workhorse. I know she's actor. a workhorse. And she was training. Oh, yeah. She was training with your uh, yeah, Corey McKenna. Corey McKenna recently. McKenna had a, a solid performance against uh, Kay Hansen. Uh, Mama Bear McMahon for me. What about you? I got to go the other way, and and I do recognize it's a close fight, and that they have similar. Well, they have similar past victories, and that they like to grapple. That's how they like to get it done. Juliana Pena is not on the same level remotely the wrestling but her grappling's pretty good she has she's big she's strong she's physical i think part of her problem is that the long layoffs the long inactivities right so looking at juliana pena she came off the ultimate fighter and won the ultimate fighter it looked like sky's the limit for her. she looked really good um defeats sarah moross in the final what a joke jessica Rakosi, okay miliana dudieva but a joke winning jessica i big win the win over kat zingano was a big win certainly at the time right this is 2017 those they're more or less irrelevant not necessarily jessica i but you get what I'm getting at. And she gets that fight against Valentina Shevchenko. This is a world title fight. This is who we've come to realize is the GOAT. And again, she does a really good job in the first round. I thought she won the first round. The second round, she's doing good in the second round. She gets a takedown. She ends up on top, and she gives up an armbar. At the time, it was like, oh, the kickboxer got an armbar. But it's like, no, no, no. This girl's got Don't skills. Good at she's absolutely got skills in every aspect of combat, including armed combat as well, right? Mm-hmm. Call it for the bullet for the reason. But then after that, she got pregnant. She had a child. She got married. Life seemed to get in the way. She's still young. She fought for the title. She was like 28 years old. But instead of being like, oh, this girl's going to shore up some things and come back and fight Valentina again, that would have been a cool little storyline. But it's like she vanished off the map. She came back two full years later. In fact, it's two and a half years later against Nico Montano. And I didn't think she looked good. But it's almost understandable that she was away for two and a half years and she had a kid and she got married and life got in the way. And she's doing commentating gigs for Kombache Americas. And, like, again, she won against Nico Montano, a former world champion, if you'll consider that a true fact, which it is, crazy enough. But it's like she needs to compete more regularly. She got some rust off. It's okay. How do we move on to the next one? And the next one ends up being Jermaine Durandamy. Like, talk about a tough task. Not only that, after she beat Nico Montano, she proceeded to take another 15 months off. So... We need a regular schedule. We need you getting back in the fire, getting back in the mix, getting your timing back on, getting that aggression, getting that cardio going. And they gave her Jermaine Durand to me. Yeah, she didn't give a great account of herself, but mind you, it seemed like had she not got caught in that guillotine shit. She lost the first round, no doubt about it. It was very I thought she won. I thought she won the second round. The third round, she's doing a decent job. She's pressing her up against the cage. It's close. And she goes deep on that takedown for whatever reason like really hard in the paint 90 seconds left and gets snagged up in a guillotine choke and choked unconscious because this girl's got hard for days by the way good i chin. was on gdr but trust tab. me i was not picking gdr by sub i don't think anybody was no not a not and a it was a close fight and it was a good fight but but think about how good jermaine Durandamy is and again a former world champion someone who's fought at 145 pounds is, is such a credited kickboxing background and yet we have her coming and Juliana Pena coming in and giving okay accounts of herself. Now, the benefit here is that fight was only three months ago. And now we're getting her back on track. Now we're getting some the ring rust polished off. We're getting some rounds in. And she should be a little bit better. When you look at Sarah McMahon, meanwhile, 40 years old, also coming off the same layoff, right? She fought Nina Landsberg almost exactly one year to the day ago, right? That fight against Nina Landsberg, 
was after a two-year-long layoff against Marion Renault in a fight that she lost. But that's what I want to go back to. In the Ketlin Vieira fight, she starts well in the first round. In the second round, doesn't matter that she's a former you know, Olympian silver medalist. It doesn't matter that she's got this credible wrestling background. The second round, she starts to tire. She puts herself in bad spots. And she gets submitted. Kelly Vera submits her in the second round. Then she fights Mar- Marion Renault. This is going to be a walk in the park. She comes in. She's a minus 180 favorite. She wins the first round against Marion Renault. In the second round, she starts to get tired. She puts herself in a bad spot. And as soon as that triangle comes up, she taps. Mm-hmm. That's what causes this two-year-long layoff. Then she comes back age 38. Sorry, she was 39 years old and fought Nina Landsberg. Nina Landsberg, a Swedish, a Swedish European Muay Thai champion. No wrestling. So she goes out, she gets that win, and that's the one fight for her in the last number of years. 40 years old, has that wrestling, no doubt about it. But if she's not going to go out there and beat Juliana Pena by submission, not going to happen, I don't think. She's not going to knock her out. She's got to go out there and win 15 minutes. And we've seen in some of these spots that around that seven or eight minute mark, when she starts to meet some resistance, she goes the other way. Whereas Pena is just rock steady. She's going to fight as long as she can. And you'll have to put her unconscious or she's not going to stop. She's a little bit, she's had the better body of work, I guess, recently. And I'd have to say one girl just fought a close competitive fight with a former world champion in Jermaine Durandamy who gave Amanda Nunez at least a fight, you know, at least something that resembled a fight. And on the flip side to that, a girl that just won a, a unanimous decision over Lena Landsberg. So, again, there are levels. I don't want to dis... They're giving you dog money. That's the main thing. Is that Pena's plus 110. It's not like Pena's a minus 140, which is what I would align to that. It's Pena's a plus 110. She's an underdog. So, this is a close fight. Both girls could win, but it's a dog or pass for me. And for that reason, I'm going to take that underdog, Juliana Pena. All right, we got Khalil Roundtree taking on Marcin Pracnio, minus 325. Roundtree, plus 265 Pracnio. This is the only fight I actually already have... Well, actually, I have Conor McGregor parlayed with Blades um, now that they rebooked that Blades versus um, versus Derek Lewis fight. But uh, the only one specifically just on this card that I have is the under one and a half rounds in Roundtree versus Pracnio here. I, I think the line minus 325 Roundtree and Pracnio 265. I think the line considering uh, Roundtree retired... After his last fight, or yeah. at least that's what he was claiming. This guy seems like a cool guy. Yeah. I saw him on like the Joe Rogan experience, like super, super. He seems like a really cool guy and all that. But the guy wanted out. He was talking about the end of his career. He has a history of fast starts. You know, he's got the finish over uh, over Gokensaki. The guy hits like a Mack truck. And the biggest, the biggest thing here is that we have. I, I'm willing to say that it doesn't seem like. Marcin Pracnio uh, is able to take shots at this level. So uh, that's why, well, one, one, because I think it's a little bit juiced, the minus, I think it's minus 160 to the under one and a half uh, that I have on it. Um, obviously a little bit juice for, especially for a minus one and a half. He goes through these guys' records though. And you know, Pracnio just doesn't get out of the first round. He, you know, he charged face forward into uh, a Sam Alvey, uh, straight left, like the exact same, the exact thing that you don't do <laughs> against smiling Sam Alvey. Um, that's that's the play I've got on it. Minus 160, uh, under one and a half rounds. I just think you, you kind of play it on one side and the other. It's like maybe Roundtree's just showing up here, get a paycheck. He was already sounded like he wanted his walking papers, like he was trying to get himself out the door. If he turns up, uh, you know, not himself, Pracnio 
could finally get that UFC win and get an early finish in this spot. He goes for it. That's what he does every single time. On the other hand, if Roundtree cracks him, cracks him good, he gets him out of there in the first round. Like, I think this fight probably ends in the first round. Yeah, I think that the under one and a half, the under two and a half, the fight does not go the distance are definitely spots that you're looking at. Marcin Prakniaus, what we've seen throughout his whole career, really, but certainly his 0-3 run in the UFC is that he can't take a punch, man. He's been knocked out in the first round in all three of those fights. Now, the level of competition is kind of middling, you know, at times. Anyways, Ankalaya is my boy, and that was another mm-hmm. bad one for him, but... He's just got a reckless style, and it starts off with the Sam Alvey fight where he got hurt initially, but then he runs face forward into it and gets knocked out by Sam Alvey. Ah, Sam's got power, so you give him a pass. Then they give him Ankalaev because they're looking to build Ankalaev, and Marcin gets cracked. Same thing. He topples over, but that's a tough loss. Okay, we, we'll, we'll write him a pass again. Then he gets Mike Rodriguez. Mike Rodriguez just absolutely cuts right through him. It's mm-hmm. like this guy can't take a very good shot. He's got like a karate style. And he's hyper-aggressive, and he's got big power. And you used to watch him fight for one championship in Asia, and it's like, yeah, this guy's entertaining. He comes at you. He's aggressive. But, like, his head's right in the air, and he's there to get hit. And if you're going to have that style, you've got to either have the reflexes to move out of the way, have good head movement, or have a cast-iron chin, to which effect he has he has another of the two. He's getting knocked out now, right? To give him Khalil Roundtree is a big disservice because Khalil Roundtree... If- anything can absolutely starch somebody he's got that big power now you talk about the frustrations and they're that definitely there he loses his last fight against Ian Kudalabi. he announces a retirement he was supposed to fight Sam Alvey the event got uh, rescheduled due to COVID he wasn't interested in fighting he was actually linked to making his heavyweight debut against Greg Hardy and then came out and was like this is bullshit those those negotiations aren't close to being finished why are you announcing it like you're strong-arming me basically and now he seems unhappy, but he's only 30 years old and he's been tra- training full-time at Tiger Muay Thai for the last year. And we know he's got striking skills. We also know he's a brick shit house. Mm-hmm. Taking him down, yeah, that's your path to victory. But keep in mind, right, he struggled versus Andrew Sanchez. He struggled versus Johnny Walker. He struggled versus Ion Kudalaba. All those guys are fringe contender, top 15 guys. Johnny Walker's a top 10 guy, let's say. They're not top five. They're not the, the, the highest level of the sport. But he's still fighting good guys, whereas Marcin Prakniaw is running headfirst into strikes by pretty much anybody. You don't want that to be the case against Khalil Roundtree. Everyone will be quick to point to the fact that it's like, man, look at this power. He knocks out Daniel Jolly 52 seconds. He knocked out Paul Bearjew Craig. He's got a decent chin on him. You know, first round and like absolutely lights him up. And then he'll never live this one down. It's one of the greatest finishes in his career, for sure. The Gokan Saki win. But it's the Eric Anders decision win that's most impressive, where for 15 full minutes... He put a absolute devastating picture perfect beating on on him. He dropped him like what's the knockdown yeah. count? I got to see the knockdown Anders count. Anders is pretty on durable. Anders is durable, and Anders is a guy that is way bigger and stronger and more experienced than Marcin Prakniaw. He's going to take those shots, whereas most guys aren't going to. For Khalil Roundtree, if he touches you, you're going to have a problem. And this is another one of these spots where, like, Marcin Pragnio at some point is going to get hit. Now, flip side to that, Khalil Roundtree has suspect gas tank. If you can get him out of the first round, if you can even in the first round, we've seen guys put it on him. But again, those guys that are putting it on him are Johnny Walker with a crazy elbow. Holy shit, I did not see that one coming. And Ian Kudalaba, it's like... The guy's like the Tasmanian devil with his approach to fighting. He's going to catch guys. Mm -hmm. He dropped Eric Anders four times in that fight, which, like, how many fights have you seen not stop where there was four knockdowns? He outstruck him 79 to 16. I don't see 
Marcin Pratt Marcin. You know, getting up from four knockdowns. He, he actually got knocked down twice against Sam Alvey. It took two to put him down. But, like, Sam Alvey's a former welterweight who then moved to 185 and then moved to 205, and his power is not at 205 no. anymore, except for the time he fought Marcin Pratt Whereas, like, Khalil Roundtree, they were just talking about him fighting Greg Hardy at heavyweight. He has power for days. He's a big, light heavyweight. His pecs are, like... Like if he touches you, it's a problem. And like my friend from Poland, probably shout out to our boy Rob, might not be a good day for Poland on this card. No. I mean, well, I don't think for Prakneo, it's like I don't think he probably expected to get another call to I'm the surprised big show. The UFC yet. gave him one because at some point, yeah, you're I thought get, he was done after that third 10 years knockdown down the road when the guy, knockout. When the guy's an old Maybe this is a nice little jello. payback. They're like, you know, we. They tried to strong arm him to go up to heavyweight to fight Greg Hardy, and they're just like, "Here, enjoy." I got crack, a Gracie. Go theory. crack, go crack this. Gym. You just brought a Gracie. I mean, to my head. it's minus three twenty-five, so the price is pretty wide. I just want the under minus one one sixty. You can maybe get it at some shops at minus one fifty, which is pretty juiced for an under one point five. But like, the writing's on the wall. That's what happens to Prakneo when he fights guys at this level. So my theory now, which I've just come up with as you were talking, is t- Khalil Roundtree signs with the UFC off the Ultimate Fighter. He would he would have signed a customary four-fight contract, right? That four-fight takes him through the Paul Craig win in which he would have signed a six-fight deal. Mm-hmm. That six-fight deal puts this as the last fight in the six-fight deal. So he probably says, I want some money. And they say, sure, you can fight Greg Hardy on the last fight of your deal. And if you win, we'll, you'll sign a nice contract. But if you lose... You could be in Bellator. You, you're going to definitely get strong arm in your negotiations. You've lost your last two, and you've lost two of your last three, right? Uh, not not a great look. Instead, it's like, okay, okay. I don't want that much money. It's like, okay, welcome to the team. Here's Marcy. Marcy Bragnia. <laughs> it'll, be something, it'll be something that has to do with money because there's no way you would go from fighting. Greg's not great, but there's no way you go from fighting a top 15 heavyweight, a fringe 15 heavyweight. It's just such a thin division, right? Uh, to fighting Marcin Pracnio, 0 and 3 in the UFC, three first round losses. The last thing I would say is maybe, maybe there's something we don't know, but like, no, no, no. About four hours now, not even, maybe like two hours now, Ike Villanueva versus Vinicius Moreira. You know what? The narrative was pretty goddamn right. He cannot take a punch. Mm-hmm. He's had three fights in the UFC, he's been knocked down in the first round. All third, three times. Bearju actually submitted him with a rear naked choke only because the referee had mercy and didn't stop it on strikes. I don't know. He can't take a punch. This is not for him. Paul Felder, what was Paul Felder's line? This guy can't punch a kicky. Yeah, fact, not for him. Marcin's a good traditional martial artist. You know, Kyukushin, shots to the body, wearing a gi in the gym, teaching kids classes. That's what the future is. If he can remember the combos, because he's got another KO coming, and it's not going to be a great look. No. All right, we got uh, Mahmoud Muradov taking on Andrew Sanchez. Muradov minus 135 favorite. Sanchez can be had. Four plus 115. Where's your head at? It's tough to bet one. against Andrew Sanchez because of that that style where he's going to try to blanket you the best he can. We've seen in his last fight, he did come out kind of reckless with his strikes. It's a new wrinkle to his game. But one thing about him is that he does have lackluster cardio. And, and, and yeah, we're going back to the fact that Anthony Smith, in a fight he's up two rounds, comes back and beats him in the third turn. It would be Anthony Smith. The Ryan Jane's fights the same thing. He 10-8s Ryan Jane's in the first round, and he looks like a million bucks. And then as soon as the second round comes, this man's tired. And as soon as the third round comes, it's like Andrew Sanchez has got nothing in, in the tank. That's kind of been the repetitive theme for him throughout his career. He just doesn't got a great gas tank. 
um, he can beat lower-level guys on the basis of his wrestling, keep him up against the cage, and just work them for two of those three rounds. But against anybody that's kind of a higher level, he, he just kind of struggles to get the fight to the ground and to keep that pace going. So beyond those two thir- third-round finishes against Anthony Smith and Ryan James, his wins are over Marcus Perez and Marcio Bar- or Marcel Barrio just held them both down, right? The Marvin Vittori fight, he couldn't get Vittori down. He had no plan B in that fight. And then Wellington Terman, which for whatever reason, people were betting Wellington Terman, but Wellington Terman's is another grappler who's super limited. So he wasn't going to take down three-time All-American uh, wrestler Sanchez. Not going to happen. And what you ended up seeing is that he was able to go out there and look okay with his striking by way of him fighting Wellington Terman. This is going to be a much tougher spot because Mahmoud Muradov is not super impressive by any stretch. He's got a really nice looking record. He's got that cool storyline where it's like he was signed to Floyd Mayweather's um, like management company. He's the only active fighter signed to Floyd Mayweather's management company. He also apparently did some body bodyguard work for Floyd, and he trains and he was training in Las Vegas. He's now back in in. Uzbekistan, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, the pandemic. I mean, I was picking him to win against Kevin Holland. I don't know how that was going to play out. Now that we've seen that Kevin Holland's definitely made some major improvements in his game. Uh, uh, for, I, I for did. Sure. I, I thought he had a massive speed advantage there. Obviously, he was giving up a lot of reach. His grappling looks good. That's the key here. That's gonna His be grappling looks here. good, and I think that's going to cause problems for Sanchez. I think when they yeah. stay on the feet here, his speed and ability to get in and out of the pocket, he should be able to chew Sanchez up. Like Sanchez is going to have to take him down and, and hold him down for two rounds and, and, and then, then hope, hope that the cardio holds up for that round three. That's what I'm thinking. About. I agree, is that if he's able to get takedowns, he needs to hold him down, and that's where Sanchez struggles. I think he is a BJJ black belt, but he doesn't got great top pressure, top control. So when he gets you down, he works a lot. He spends energy, and that's why he's getting tired. But, yeah, when you flip it over back to Mahmoud Muradov, the two wins in the UFC, Alicia DiTirico, Trevor Smith, you see a development there out of him. And the Trevor Smith fight in the third round, too, his cardio looked good. He ends up getting a third-round knockout. He's putting it together, gets a good knockdown. And again, now there's been a there's been a long layoff. He hasn't fought since December 2019, right? He's taken all of 2020 off. He's same thing as a lot of these guys on the card. They're coming off these 14, 15 month layoffs, and he's no different. But when you're young, you're gonna be making some improvements. And with, with Sanchez, it's not that he's old. I mean, they're virtually the same age. It's that he does it, his ceiling seems to have been reached, right? Mm-hmm. He's got that style. He never really got beyond that style. Muradov took most of his losses earlier in his career, and he's on what, like a 14-fight winning streak yeah, or something? Yeah, and so looks he... good, and there's a reason why Floyd signed him. Now, Is do I think he's a top-five talent? I don't. Is nope. he a top-ten talent? I also don't believe so. Is this a middling-type fight that it's like go out there and get a win over Andrew Sanchez and move on to the next and give a better showcase? Yeah, but it's hard to look good against Sanchez because of that grinding-type style, mm-hmm. so... Again, this could go 15 and not hit your monkey knife fight totals because Moradov would like to throw strikes. He's got good volume. But with Sanchez, you know, it's hard, it's hard to th- uh, land significant when your back's against the cage. And Sanchez is not going to land a ton of strikes himself because he's mostly just shooting it on takedowns and trying to tie you up, right? So I'm going to take Mahmoud Moradov, but uh, it'll be a sweat if Sanchez just grinds us down against the cage, right? You'll be kind of yelling at the TV a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. All right, we got Mostar Evloev taking on Nick the Carney Lentz. Evloev minus 425, Lentz plus 340. Can Lentz make this dirty? I know Evloev, Evloev's best work gets done on the feet, use, utilizing his speed. Obviously, he likes to go to the 
wrestling and the grappling as well. But yeah, I wasn't the his last time out uh, was against Nick Lenz. No, no, oh, even though I was last time out there. Oh yeah, Mike Grundy. Yeah. I thought there were some spots there where he kind of looked uh, a little bit exposed. I don't know. Can the old can the old Carney uh, find some tricks here against uh, Evil? I think he's going to be giving up just a significant amount of the, the speed of Evil should pose big time problems for him. But they're asking you to pay a big price of minus four twenty five. I agree. It's actually a bump bet for Nick Lentz because Nick Lentz was supposed to fight last week against Mike Grundy. And that was a spot that I was thinking this is a live underdog spot for Nick Lentz. With Mike Grundy, yeah, he's a former Commonwealth bronze medalist. The man wrestled until he was like 29 years old and then just came over to MMA. There's spots where you can expose this guy. And Nick Lentz has got a nasty guillotine choke. He's got good cardio. He's got serviceable striking better than Grundy's. Grundy's got a big right hand, but that's about it. It's like, this guy's going to push him, maybe catch him late. But then the fight gets canceled. Grundy pulls out. They book him a week later, and they gave him the man that beat Mike Grundy, which is Mavzar Ivlov, who is now just a much tougher task. Like, with Nick Lentz, he's got that former uh, Minnesota State University, or University of Minnesota, sorry, uh, D1 wrestling. But as far as it's translated in the UFC, like, he's not one of the top, top wrestlers. He's got good wrestling, not great wrestling. Ivlov, probably slight advantage, in fact. As far as the striking goes experiences all all day experience goes towards Nick Lentz. Mm-hmm. He's fought in all the best guys. He fought Charles Oliveira three times. Technically went 0-2 in a no contest, but realistically went 0-3 and got beat up all three times. But what I'm saying is that he's been there against a lot of top-level talent, whereas Mavzar Ivlov is a former Bantamweight champion at M1, comes to 145 pounds to the UFC, has been beating some some you know up-and-comers, lower-level guys, beat Barboza, you know, getting, getting a couple... A couple decent wins along the way. But with Nick Lentz, you know, he's a big 45er. This is a guy that fought at 155 pounds. And maybe he could go out there and pose a couple problems for sure. So the line seems a little bit wide. But ultimately, it's like I think that the Russian fighter is the better. He's better. He's got better skills all around. And even though the savvy veteran could show him something, the better skills should win out, right? And we talked about last week, last week on Monday, with uh, with Morozov versus Umar Nurmagomedov. And it was like, listen, the guy does appear to be better. He has better striking. He has better wrestling. He's maybe a little bit untested because he's still got an undefeated record. And he's a he's a really big line. He's a 5-1 to one favorite. So mm-hmm. there's some hesitancy to not overlook Morozov. But then when you see the fight happen, it's like, this guy looks good, man. And the savvy veteran is savvy, but he just doesn't have enough there to show him. Nick Lentz is a better veteran than, Nick, than, uh, than Morozov, sure. But he's also at the tail end of his career and... There should the Mike be a Grundy ma- fight would have been a fun fight. This could still be a fun fight, but I, I got to think that. Massive speed advantage, I think, for Evloev. And I would say a striking advantage because Nick Lentz is going to be morely like overhand rights. Yeah, single hooks, shots, single trying shots. to intercept on like the, the entries and stuff. Yeah, and if he decides to push that pace to make this an ugly, grindy affair, Nick Lentz's cardio has traditionally been really good, but he's had bad weight cuts to 145. His body shut down on him on mm-hmm. 145. He bailed on the weight class altogether, went to 55. And, and then, then realize these, these guys are just too damn big. I'll come back down to 45. And now he's taking on a former 35er. So again, but that's where you'll see the speed. The smaller man's going to be faster and the smaller man can wrestle. Grundy is, is a much better wrestler than Nick Lance. Doesn't have the BJJ. Doesn't have the top control. And he takes that Mavzar Evlov down six times. But you see Mavzar just get out. You also see Grundy with one hell of a tight choke on Mavzar Evlov. And the kid is super calm, super patient, works his way out. 
So we know that Nick Lentz loves that guillotine choke. He's got a nasty guillotine choke. The way he set it up against Will Brooks, it was a thing of beauty. If he sets up something like that again, I am going to be sweating. But I know Eves Loeb just needs to take his time, work his way out, get back to it, and put it on. 425, bad line. I do have Eve Loeb. I think I would push out of Eve Loeb by decision. I don't have a number I mean, Russians, right in front Russians of me. on the island, man. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, sea level cane. They're just like <laughs> mythical creatures. <laughs> Russians on the island, bud. Uh, real quick, Movzar Evloev by decision, just to see if we can improve that. He's already moved to 485 from 425, and we just started the show, right? Yeah, it moves. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Like, people obviously like Well, him. the fight's, you know, the fight's just ended, so people are looking at the next card and going, ooh. Yeah, oh. Ooh, Ru- that's, a, that's a parlay piece right there. You know what they're saying? They're going, ooh, Russians on the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eve Love by decision is minus one forty-five. That to me seems a right. lot better than nearly five to one. Let's let's go with that. He's been a decision guy, right? Keep that in mind. And Nick Lentz is still tough. Hundred percent. All right, and finally we got Amir Albazi taking on Azalgis Zumagulov. Pretty much a straight pick on here. Albazi was actually a significant. I think it was like minus one forty, minus one fifty, maybe even last night. And it seems like people are. Coming in on Zumagulov. Do you have a hot take on this one? Russians on the island, bud. He, no, no, he's, he's, like he's not. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. It was just a joke. This card actually features, if you look at it, you got uh, USA, Ireland, yeah, New Zealand, Scotland, Morocco, Brazil. And we're leaving the island. Armenia. There weren't very many Germany, uh, Poland, Uzbekistan, Russia and Kazakhstan, mm. but he's got the OV, and if he got an OV, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Zalgas Zumagulov, um, when you watched him prior to coming to the UFC, it's like, ooh, there is a lot to like out of this guy. He's one of those Kazakh-type fighters that very strong, good striking acumen, good scrambles, good wrestling, very, very strong, as I mentioned, can carry that later in. He's not one of these guys that just comes to the UFC and is, there's some hype on him, and oh, he's a former champion in Russia. It's like, no, no, this guy had wins over Tyson Nam. Uh, Tagir Ulubekov and Ali Bogatinov prior to coming to the UFC. Like, he's a refined version of himself. Then they offer you up a sweet little plus 130 price tag with him versus Roly on Peva. So I'm all on this guy. He's got good experience. He's got a good base. I've watched him in Russia. Again, striking, good power striking. Doesn't knock guys out, but lots of volume. He's super, super awkward. That's one thing about him is that you'll never see striking like that probably anywhere else. And that unorthodox movement sometimes gets him in trouble. That haircut too, really. When I was in Abu Dhabi, I met... 25 guys that look just like that and they would have all took in your lunch money oh, of they're just so goddamn strong they were all in like unbelievably good shape they're all ripped and it's not just like this guy's cutting weight he's ripped it's like that's just what they walked around at he he personifies that 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 tough um you know idea that you have the roly and pava fight meanwhile he comes in as the underdog i'm touting him i thought he won the fight I know a lot of people that thought he won the fight he outlanded pava 66 to 52 and took him down twice right but he didn't look good because that movement, you know, he's slow and he is hittable and he does stuff where it's like, man, what are you doing? You're allowing these spots to slip away from you ever so slightly. With Amir Albazi, I like him. He looked really sharp in his debut against Malcolm Gordon. I was touting him on the show to get a first round KO and be the pick of the week. He goes out, he delivers. Uh, well, he gets the triangle choke, sorry, but he goes out there. He, he puts a, a good performance together. Beyond that, man... Uh, he was fighting with the Brave FC regional scene, fighting mid-level guys, comes in here. This is a big task taking on Zalgus, who's got way more experience, has been five rounds, fought the bigger name guys, 
could have won against Roli and Pava. And that's that's the last thing I want to get at. If you're a casual fan, if you're someone that tunes in once in a while, you probably don't know the name Roli and Pava, but the guy's a badass, mm-hmm. right? He's a super tough fighter. That's why Salga's had such a good reputation in Russia and was still a plus 130 underdog against Roli. Because people are like, yo, dude, this guy's legit. His striking's awesome. He's really good. Shout out to Rob again because he's a Roli and Pava guy. And Roli and Pava does get the win. Fucks me. Blew a parlay, but does get the win. But Zalgas gave, should have won. Give a good account of himself. Not a great account of himself. Still looked weird. But hopefully those adjustments have been switched. He comes in here. He's five foot four. He's a switch stance fighter. You know, again, he is awkward. There are spots that Albazi will probably look good in it. But ultimately, I think he works him over. And he's minus 115. It's an even money fight. That seems appropriate to me. So I would take Zalgas. Last thing I want to throw on there is that I think I would lean towards this as a uh, another monkey knife fight spot. Just because Zalgas ain't getting knocked out. So as much as Albazi knocked out Malcolm Gordon or that he's got, you know, a quick finish over Gordon, if he's going to win, he's going to have to do exactly what Pava did, and that's defeat Zalgas over a prolonged period. Whereas Zalgas likes to strike. He likes to get in your face. He likes to throw some bombs. If this is strikers, striker versus striker, and they are going to go 15, and they're they're 125-pound fighters, we should see some decent volume out of it. Now, as of now, we don't have the release numbers for Monkey Knife Fight. So if it's something where it's like 70 on one side and 50, you know, if it's, if it's high up, you'd have to rethink it. Mm-hmm. But as a preliminary fight, this seems like the kind of spot that you could get an action They're pace. in the 30s or 40s. Yeah, you can get an, an, an action pack, striker versus striker, flyweight division to kick off the card. That makes sense to me. Uh, any final thoughts here? No, I mean, I, listen, I don't want to get in my own head, but I want to get us back on track here. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is the best time to do it. Again, we've got 12 fights, and I'm only really looking at three underdogs. I'm looking at Michael Chandler, who's plus 105, not even great price. Nazareth Hackfrost, and that was just a dogger pass. It wasn't like an earmarked dog that I really liked. And we've got Juliana Pena, plus 110. Outside of that, we're going with a lot of favorites. Who's going to be that one to shit in the apple pie? Again, it's all about constructing the lineup properly. Laziz. He screwed us. Buckley screwed us. It wasn't like we had two or three fighters wrong in these parlays. It's just that one. We just got to figure out who's that one going to be. Mm-hmm. Conor McGregor doesn't seem like a parlay piece, especially at 310. Hooker and Chandler are not parlay pieces. The Calderwood fight's going to be really close. Ottman Azatari, I like him. Is that a parlay piece? Like, you know, Favol's going to give him something. Rebus, you know, 390 is just a big price tag. The Tsuruki and Hyperos fight, like, no, that's not parlay material. Brad Tavares, parlay material? Are you kidding? Juliana Pena, parlay material? Are you kidding? Khalil Roundtree, it seems like Khalil Roundtree's going to win this fight, right? But Khalil Roundtree at the top of your parlay, which, by the way, has happened before, is, like, not a good That's why I time, said I prefer, man. I just want the under in that fight, to be perfectly honest. M- Muradov and Sanchez, yeah, and yeah. You know what I'm going to maybe try to do is, like, instead of... And one of, guy hasn't asked for, like, take his some release. Decision props. Put some decision props together. Yeah. And that way, who cares who wins? Fights just got to go the distance. And there's, there's a decision. lot of these fights. Most are, are by decision. decision, I think we came across. I like the under one and a half rounds in Roundtree versus Prachnio. Maybe I'm a little bit gun-shy because it's been a little bit of a rough start to 2021, but... Uh, We'll get back on track. We always do. Yeah, I would say I would say Albazi versus Zumagulov goes to decision. Ivlova versus Lentz goes to decision. Makhmumad Muradov versus Andrew Sanchez going to decision. Um, Brad Tavares, ACJ going to decision. Sarukian versus Hakparos going to decision. Rebus versus Rodriguez going to decision. Calderwood versus I going to decision. And then and then we got knockouts. McGregor Poirier inside the distance. Hooker versus Chandler probably inside the distance. Ahmed Azatar fights probably inside the distance. Um, Khalil Roundtree's fight's going to be inside the distance, and, and that's it. So, yeah, if maybe we go for some decision props instead of some straight-out picks, because, yeah, this is this is a tough card. 
But uh, yeah, what can we do? Hit him with the PRP, Hit as you PRP. already know. Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler, uh, Joanne Calderwood, Otman Azitar, Amanda Rebus, uh, Nazareth Hakparos, Brad Tavares, Juliana Pena, Khalil Roundtree, Mahmoud Muradov, Mavzar Ivloev, and Zalgas Zumagulov. Maybe going to have to get a little greasier than normal and chase those props. Because again, we just talked about that minus 500 Evloev, but minus 145 by decision. Like that's how I'm going to get the juice back that otherwise you can't really give on these five mm-hmm. to one type fights. But that makes sense. Yeah. All we can do is hope and pray that the MMA gods give us a bounce our way and we get, get things going again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. So big, big reminder, um, Monkey Knife Fight, if you want to get in on the action there, use the promo code DOP. There's a link to a free contest in the description. It may not be out immediately because I don't think the that stuff's up yet, but check again on Thursday. I, I imagine it'll be up there. And Mayo, Apley, and Mad Lab will be holding it down on the DK Picks. That'll be up on Thursday on Mayo Media Network. So sub to the channel. Hit the notification. It'll be up there. Smart guys, uh, they'll have some interesting takes and kind of play their takes off of ours. Yeah, and also, again, one last thing. If you leave that five-star review on the audio podcast, Twitter or email, whatever you prefer best with, just all you got to do is leave the review and you automatically get thrown to a contest. You win $100. Cool. Uh, Everybody's eligible to win except for Neil Magny. You son of a (laughs) bitch. I'm kidding. He did what he could. I guess, but uh, bad game plan. And Michael Kies is just one thick, strong dude. So can't take anyway th- anything Michael away Kies, from Michael uh, Kies was obviously killing himself to get to 155 because that guy is not small at 170. You know what? Fight metric and topology and sure dog and all these different things aren't necessarily sure, but they got Neil Manulis at six foot three and they got Michael Kies Alyssa at six foot one. But then you see them square off in a stare down and it's like they the, looked about the same the size, but Kies was a lot yeah. thicker. Coulda, shoulda, woulda, Paul. I'm not Should've gonna. Be, I'm not gonna be that more guy. More attention. To I'm that. not gonna be that guy. We're gonna move on and hopefully make this one the winning one. So uh, yeah, stay tuned for our other shows. And yeah, thanks for joining joining us again. Thank you for being across the desk from me. All right, that's it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Saftig, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.